as I was working on this uh, message, it, I was just reminded of, you know, sometimes when people learn that I used to be a welder and a millwright, uh, some asked, how is it that I ended up a pastor? How did I, you know, how did I, I become a pastor? Well, uh, let me assure you, being pastor wasn't even in my vocabulary when I was growing up. Uh, I, I, growing up Roman Catholic, I was used to priests, and I, I knew I didn't want, I never desired to be a priest, and I also feel in our day and age, I need to let you know also, I, I never desired to be a nun. Um, just, just so, you know, we got, just so we got that clear. Um, but when I got into high school, when I got into high school, I was quite content to be a nominal Catholic. I was, I, you know, that just kind of fit me r- real good. You know, I would go to church on Sundays if it didn't interfere with anything else that I wanted to do. You see, and and I wasn't about to rearrange what I wanted to do to go to church. Um, it was just, you know, at that point, wasn't uh, it didn't take the priority God should have had in my life, uh, but but it didn't. And so when I met Ginny, she wasn't religious at all, uh, so she fit right in with with my life and and how I wanted to live. Now, um, you would have classified you would have classified Ginny as a good person. She wasn't a troublemaker at all in our relationship. If there was a troublemaker, it, it wasn't her. Let's just put let's just put it that way. It wasn't her. Um, you know. So between the two of us, though, then she was the first one to come to a real relationship with Christ, and that was a couple of weeks before we got married. Uh, and it was fine with me if she wanted, uh, the, you know, this personal relationship with Jesus that I had heard about. And, uh, you know, as long as it, as long as it didn't interfere with what I wanted to do and how I wanted to live, it was okay if she wanted, you know, cause I was, again, I was content to be a nominal Catholic and I figured if she was going to be content to be a nominal, uh, a Christian, a nominal born again person, that, you know, that, that, that would have worked. I did not want her to be like the people I knew who were one of these born again Christians, you know, that I had heard about. I certainly didn't want her to be like those people that I had heard about that had always talked about having a personal, personal relationship with Jesus Christ because I thought they were boring. And I just, I mean, I thought they were, they were boring. Uh, they, they talked about Jesus all the time. They're telling me that God did this and God did that in their lives. And the things I was interested in doing, I was quite certain that, you know, that, that uh, God would not really be a fan of those things that I was interested in doing. And so if you wanted to talk to me about God too much, you see, I, I just wasn't, I wasn't up for that because, well, part of it was because I knew from the way I was raised, uh, some of what I was doing wasn't what it should be. Well, then I met Randy and Jean Boltema. I should really say that I re-met Randy and Jean Boltema. I met Randy and Jean Boltema first when I was in high school. Uh, we would go over to this place. There, there was a, a place in town called the Wishing Well uh, in the town where I grew up. That's where you would go to pay your, you, you could go there to pay your utility bills. And in Chicago, in the suburbs of Chicago, um, all of the people who had uh, Commonwealth Edison as their um, electric provider could choose on their bill. You bring your bill in and you can get so many free light bulbs. Well, you know, so we would go to the wishing well and that's where we could get these free light bulbs. Well, the lady who owned that went to a uh, Christian Reformed church in a town nearby and Randy and Jean Boltima also went to that church. So they started a coffee house ministry there. Now, this was before Starbucks even started. I know that because I looked up when Starbucks started before I said that. Um, 
you know, and so this was you know, a coffee house ministry, just was, you know, that wasn't it, except for the fact that, you know, uh, there were hippies around and, and things, and, you know, we all know I, I love hippies, you know, but anyway, the, um, so we'd go to this, we would go to this, uh, wishing well, this coffee house ministry that they had, not because we were at all interested in either coffee or what they were talking about. We went there because we knew where it was, and it was a place where we could gather to find out where the party was going to be, you know, that night, and then we could go to the party. And that's how I met Randy and Jean the first time. And uh, they they bugged me a little bit because, well, again, they were talking about God and what God had done in their life and Jesus and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, like I said, I, I wasn't terribly interested in that. And part of it was, again, because I didn't want my fur rubbed the wrong way. And, you know, and, and, and if we were going to be talking about God and stuff a lot, that, that this was, was going to happen. Well, so I re-met Randy and Gene Boltima, uh, and Randy was one of those guys, you know, he, he told me what God was doing in his life and all this stuff. Here is the difference though. Randy actually seemed to care about me. Randy and Gene seemed to genuinely care about Ginny and me. And so, you know, I, I listened a little bit more. Uh, let me fast forward then. Ten months later, I came into this relationship with Christ. And then I find that I'm beginning to be a bit like these guys I didn't want to be like. Jesus was having an increasing place in my life. It was, a, it was an increasing place. Fast forward five more years and I started Bible College at Moody Bible Institute and I went there. I did not go there to be a pastor. I was not, I did not go to Moody to be a pastor. I was going there simply to be the best help to my pastor that I could be. I just kind of felt that's what God wanted and he was opening doors as, as he opened the doors then I, I just went forward and, and did that and that was one of the doors he opened. So I was simply following God. And then I realized I was beginning to be more like those guys I didn't want to be like, uh, following God. But let me tell you, I have never regretted it. I have never regretted following God. I cannot think of one thing in my life where I was following God, where I regret following God. And again, let me remind you, that doesn't mean it was easy. It doesn't always, it doesn't mean that it was always what we would say was fun. But I have never regretted following God. I have regretted some of those times where I wasn't doing what, you know, I, 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 what I think God wanted. You know, there's those bumps along the way, the times I didn't follow as well or as quickly as I should have. Those times I do regret, but thank God I don't have to live there. Now, I realized I was sometimes more like those who didn't have a relationship with God. And I was more like some of those than I wanted to be sometimes. The neat thing is that God allows change. He allows us to change our life and he allows us to choose better. 
no matter what was going on in our past, no matter what went on in our past, no matter what was happening there. You see, when Christ went to the cross and died for our sins, he died for those sins. And we have the opportunity when we come to him for cleansing and forgiveness and to be able to then go forward from that point on with a new life in Christ. Even after we come to know him and you know, we make maybe again some stupid choices where we find ourselves acting in a way that we would say it does not, you know, that, that what we're doing is we're acting like those guys who don't know Christ. Even then he says, you know, in First John that he is, that when we sin, we can come to him, we confess and confess our sins and he is faithful and just and will forgive us from all our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't have to live back there. I don't have to live, you know, in that, in, in with that life, you know, separated from God. You know, you're going to make that choice. What you need to do is choose to follow him. Sometimes you need to make that choice over and over and over and over and over again. Choose to follow him. You know, this is the whole thing. Recently, God, God used an exchange between two men to remind me of this. I've been reading through the Old Testament again. Uh, God used some of the events of Moses' life uh, to shine his light into my life once again, particularly uh, Moses' interaction with Pharaoh. So turn to Exodus, uh, the book of Exodus, if you will. It's on page 49 in the Pew Bible. We're going to go through different parts of this book. So I, you know, I'm, I'm going to begin there a little bit with chapter one. But we're going we're gonna to jump some chapters as, as we go along. So you know, open a Bible and you know, keep it handy. Maybe stick a marker in there if you uh, close it for part of it. As Exodus begins, what we, we find here is you know, God's people are in a, are in a very tough spot. You know, they're in a tough spot there. They were welcomed into Egypt during Joseph's lifetime, back in Genesis chapter 46. So in Genesis 46, they're welcomed into Egypt. Joseph there had served Pharaoh well. He was elevated to the number two position. It says that he was second only to Pharaoh himself. Well, then things changed. Drop down to verse 6 in chapter 1 says, then Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and increased rapidly, multiplied and became extremely numerous so that the land was filled with them. A new king who had not known Joseph came into power in Egypt. He said to his people, look, the Israelites are more numerous and powerful than we are. Let us deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further. And if war breaks out, they may join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. Now, if you go on, uh, you know, I'd encourage you to read that a little bit more later. What you find is that Pharaoh embraced, the, the, what he embraced there was his plan to kill all the male Jewish children at birth. We dedicated a, a child today. Pharaoh's solution was to kill them. Well, the Jewish midwives who, you know, took care of the deliveries there, they were not on board with that plan, and they decided that they were going to follow God instead of following Pharaoh, which was obviously a good deal. Well, a young Jewish couple then, they had a boy, they had a son. They hid him for several months until it got to the place where they feel, felt they couldn't hide him any longer, and so they sealed up a reed basket. They placed this, their son in this basket, placed him in the, in the river, and, you know, and sent it floating down the river. Well, a little down the river, Pharaoh's daughter found 
finds this, well, one of her servants finds the daughter, brings it to Pharaoh, uh, to Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, she takes this child as her own, names him Moses, and raises him in Pharaoh's own home. Somewhere along the line, she must have shared with Moses that he was of the Hebrew people. And it says one day he went out to look at the Hebrew people and see, you know, they were working there under forced labor. And, um, he, you know, they were being mistreated and he, he didn't like that. He ended up killing an Egyptian who was mistreating a Jew. Pharaoh finds out about this and he determines that he's going to kill Moses. So Moses leaves, flees for his life. What he does is he settles into a shepherd's life in the country of Midian. And after a number of years, of years the Pharaoh who wanted to kill Moses uh, passed away. Uh, the next Pharaoh, Pharaoh continues to mistreat God's people. And then something happens. Turn back to chapter 3. A couple pages for you maybe. Turn back to Exodus chapter 3 beginning with verse 1 there. It says, Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame in the fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that bush was on fire, but it was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Or if you watch the Cecil B. DeMille thing, Moses. Uh, you know, just, uh, you know, the, uh, sorry. Uh, you know, so, uh, uh, here I am, he answered. Do not come. Now, do not come any closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then they continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the, minis- the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. And I know about their sufferings. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from the land uh, to a good spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory territory of all the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. The Israelites cried for help to me, has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I could just imagine Moses saying, I thought you were doing this. Uh, verse 11. But Moses asked, uh, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God on this mountain. Now, I, I, I want to make some observations along the way, um, you know, because as I was reading this, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be like the guy who is reluctant to follow God. That's one of the guys I don't want to be like. But sometimes I have found myself being just like that guy I don't want to be like. And what we have here is is, is the picture. I want you to just notice a couple of things. You know, God was always aware of what was going on with His people. Always. Notice what it says there. It says, you know, the Lord says, I have observed what's going on. And he says, I know about their suffering. I know what's happening. He says, you know, I have, I have seen the way they're being treated. This, none of this was a surprise to God. He was aware of everything that was going on. 
God is still aware of everything that is going on with his people. Always. He is always aware of what is going on with his people. Now, some of it, some of it is hard to live through. Very hard. You know, we may feel that sometimes it's almost impossible to live through. That what, you know, what's, what we have to face or what somebody has to face and we can think, how can this be? How can this be from a loving God? And we may feel that God's not paying attention because of what we're going through. The enemy of your soul would love you to believe that God doesn't care about you. He would love to destroy you and drag you down. Don't believe it. The enemy of your soul is the father of lies. And what comes out of him is lies. And it's a lie to believe that God doesn't care, that God doesn't see. What we, here's what we need to do. Easy to say, hard to live through sometimes. Though, trust God. Trust God. Know that he loves you. Know that he knows how to get you through everything. Paul wrote to the, you know, to the Corinthians, he said, you know, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what, we, what you are able, but with that temptation will provide a way of escape. That's the part we like. So you may be able to bear up under it. That's the part we don't like. Sometimes it's a way of escape. You're tempted to, you're tempted to steal something, walk away. You know, you're tempted, you know, you're, you're tempted to, you know, to, to be unfaithful to your spouse. Walk away. Walk away from that temptation. You know, sometimes it's there. But sometimes you see. Well, we need that strength to bear up under it. Paul said, I prayed three times that this, you know, that this thorn in my flesh would be removed. And God said, my, you know, here's the paraphrase. Dude, you don't need that. What you need is my strength. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. You are weak. I'm not. I'm strong. Let that remind you that of my strength. Let your weakness remind you of my strength. You know, and the whole, we need to be able to trust God. Trouble comes. But that trouble does not negate God's presence. It does not negate God's love. I would say and tell you that rather it proves it. It proves that he is God and proves that he can be trusted. He told us this was going to happen. In John chapter 16, he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have, suf- you will have suffering in this world. Claim that promise. We don't like to. You know, you will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. Why? Because I have conquered the world. And it's God that we're to trust, you know, and putting our trust in God, not putting our trust in ourselves, not putting our trust in our own ability, our own, you know, be able to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, even though that's, you know, the, the, uh, the American way, the macho way. You know, I can handle this. Uh, you know, it's also the crazy way. Romans chapter 8. What then are we to say about these things? If God's for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. He didn't spare his own son. He offered him up for us all. How will he not also with us grant us everything? Who could bring an accusation against God's elect? God's the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised up. He who is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. 
Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these, in all of these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death nor nor life Angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Therefore you should pray like this. Perhaps you've heard this before. Our Father who is in heaven, your name be honored, your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. For years is the kingdom and power and the glory forever. Deliver deliver us from the evil one. Don't separate that from your will be done. Your will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. Luke chapter 12, he says, And I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body, and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. If God cares for the sparrows that way, what makes you think he's not going to care about you? God is aware of everything that is going on in your life, and he will support you through it and bring it to an end when he knows is the very best time. Trust God. Trust him. Well, that time came for the Jews in Egypt. God was sending Moses to lead the change that God wanted to happen when it was time. God wanted to happen you know, when it was time. Look at verse 10 there in chapter 3 of what we read. He says, therefore, go. Now, some of the translations say come. You know, he's telling them come. You know, come along. We're going to work. We're going to do this. The point here is the point here is to actively follow God. This is a call to follow God, actively follow God. Get up, do it. For too many, for too many Christians, you know, for too many people, Christianity has become a spectator sport. You know, we're, we're content to watch others but never get involved ourselves. We support the team. We'll wear the shirt, you know, this is, you know. Jesus is Lord. Yeah, we'll wear, we'll wear the uniform. We'll carry a Bible. You know, we attend church. Maybe we even, maybe we even give to missions, but we avoid getting too involved. We avoid getting too committed. I don't want to be like that guy who holds back. I don't want to be like that guy. Moses here, he spent too long avoiding God, and now it was time for Moses to take a stand and go to actively follow God. And God calls him to do something that Moses feels unequipped to handle. It's something that involves great risk. He's supposed to go. He's supposed to talk to Pharaoh. He's supposed to lead God's people out, and and Moses just doesn't feel, you know. 
he begins to say all of these things, all of these reasons why he can't do it. I can't, I, I, I can't speak well. I stutter. You know, I, I stammer. One of my, one of my greatest, uh, uh, accomplishments at public speaking before, uh, God, you know, called me into this was I could mumble my way through anything and he'd never understand anything I said. I remember the first time I shared in church, it wasn't preaching, um, it was just sharing. Our pastor asked me to uh, just share some stuff that was going on in my life and what was done, and uh, and I did, and I thought with great passion, and when it was all over, uh, you know, after church, and we're going out, and Don Nelson, a guy that just, I love, man, what a, he was a, he was a good guy, and he was another guy who cared about me, and he came up to me, and he said, I couldn't understand a word you said. We can have all of these excuses, can't we, for for you know what what we can't do, and, and you know he said because what we begin to do is we begin begin to focus on all of the reasons you know that we can't do these things outside of our comfort zone. We begin to focus on the oh, but what if you know but what if I can't talk to people about Christ because what if they ask me a question I can't answer? I I can't I can't. You know, talk about God, you know, with people at work, because what if they, you know, what if they, they think I'm, I'm weird? You know, and we begin to think of all of these things, but what, 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 I have heard people say, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. What a ridiculous statement. Of course he will give you more than you can handle. Of course he will allow into your life more than you can handle. Because why? If you, if you could handle it on your own, what do you need God for? If you can handle this all on your own, why do you need God? Yes, challenges come up. You know, yeah, yeah, you know, they're, they're there, and that's why we need God. You know, we have kids. Did any of you feel capable of raising these kids when you first got them? It was like, well, for one thing, good thing there's two of us. We were soon outnumbered. And that was just with Marcy. Like, how can this little kid run our lives like this? We need help. You think you got a Scott Julie come and they stand and they said, Hey, God, we they didn't say hey to God. They said, You know, Lord, we need your help. They said, We need your help. And what we do, we said, We're going to give you our help. Why? Because you see, God brings these other people into our lives. And we, you know, if we can handle it all, if we can, of course, God's going to give you more. I think it's better to say, you know, that God will never give you more than he is willing to help you handle. That's the truth. He will never give you more than he is willing to help you handle. God, I can't handle this. I need your help. You don't just say, God, I can't handle this and go back and sit in the corner. God, I can't handle this. I need your help. And together, we're going to get through this. You know, he is willing to help you. Well, Moses continues to object on into chapter four till he find, you know, he didn't feel he was a good fit. He thought, you know, his age, his abilities, his gifting wasn't there. Um, we can offer as many excuses as, you know, what we want, why we can't step up and follow God as, you know, as he asks. Moses finally got to the place where he said, this, this was, and here was the truth where he finally said, God, please send someone else. That was the, that was the deal, wasn't it? I don't want to do this. Please send someone else. Well, God told him no. When I was working on this message, I ran across something. Uh, perhaps it'll set your mind at ease a bit. 
Uh, when God put a calling on your life, he already factored in your stupidity. <laughs> I take great comfort in that. You know, that was, it took a, it, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of pressure off. It, here's the deal. When God calls, God enables. He enables. He enables. He will be with you. He will walk with you. He will take you through it. He, show, he does a few miracles here, goes through a few miracles, shows Moses, you know, that he'll work miracles to show Pharaoh that he's speaking God's message. Why? Because when God calls, God enables. And he was showing him, he was showing him that here, you know, and the Lord connects Moses with Aaron to be his right hand man. They go off to Egypt. Uh, Moses obeys. He goes, he confronts Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh wants to keep control. You see, Pharaoh already has a hardened heart. People say, well, God hardened Moses' heart. Uh, Moses. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh already had a hardened heart. It was shown by his allowing the Israelites to be mistreated and controlled as slaves simply to indulge his own desires for a bigger, better Egypt. Pharaoh already had that hardened, unsympathetic heart. It was exposed as Moses finally starts following God and and finally starts following God's direction in his life and confronts Pharaoh. And that, that hardened heart that Pharaoh already had was just simply exposed. But God still... What you see then is God reaching out in love, really, and he gives, you know, he gives Pharaoh warnings and Pharaoh ignores those, even though those warnings, those, those plagues, even though they have a physical and emotional toll on himself and the people of Egypt, he still ignores those. And Pharaoh rejects Moses. He increases the workload on, on, you know, the Israelites. He said, well, you guys must have a lot of time on your hands. Go get your own straw. You know, and he just increases the workload. So what do the Israelites do? They come out against Moses. Let me, let me tell you here. Don't give up just because the first few steps might seem to fail in your eyes. Because those first few steps, you see, you may need to get further down the road before you see some real results. You may need to get further down the road before you see what it is God has for you. You need to get further down the road so you can understand what God is doing. Then God starts to work here, and each time he gives Pharaoh fair warning, he gives Pharaoh the opportunity to respond. He gives Pharaoh the opportunity to follow God. You have water turned to blood. So what does Pharaoh do? He has his magicians perform the same miracle, yet limited. You know, they try to do the same thing, yet it's limited. The land is overrun with frogs. And for some reason, Pharaoh thought it was a good idea to have more frogs. And so he had his, he had his sorcerers produce more frogs. And, but it was an interesting, interesting thing there because uh, they couldn't get rid of the frogs. So Pharaoh has to call Moses back in and say, you know, buddy, pray to God, let's get rid of these frogs. And some really dumb reason, Pharaoh says, do it tomorrow, you know. I heard Jay Kessler give a message one time. It was great. It was called One More Night with the Frogs. Anyway, um, you know, Pharaoh couldn't get rid of them. Have to have Moses come in, get rid of the frogs. You have the great swarm of gnats. That's irritating, uh, you know, but the magicians could not duplicate it. So here's what they said. Here's what they said to Pharaoh when they could not duplicate that. They said, this is the finger of God. This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said, because Pharaoh wanted to be in control. 
Isn't that one of our biggest battles? We want to be in control. One of our biggest struggles. If the gnats weren't enough, then it says the land was filled with flies. I just find that a little irritating and disgusting. Then you have the death of the Egyptian livestock that unfolds. It's followed by painful boils all over their body. No thanks, man. Uh, hail destroys, you know, the land. Locusts came. They ate what, was, what wasn't destroyed by the hail, we're told. And then the land was, was plunged into three days of darkness as all of these plagues unfold. Winds up with the plague of the death of the firstborn. Just prior to that, just prior to that plague uh, of, the, of the death of the firstborn, uh, God tells Moses in, in Exodus chapter 11, he says, Pharaoh will not listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses had seen God do miracle after miracle and seen Pharaoh digging his heels harder and harder till they got to this point. We can get discouraged because we think things are getting worse instead of better. And we think, this is, we're going backwards here, God. Now, things certainly may get worse. But remember, it's not about the results we see. It is about us following God. We look for results and we overlook the transforming work that God is doing within us. We overlook what he is doing there and what, what he's doing as we walk in obedience to him. Pharaoh chooses, you know, to continue to ignore God and to put God off. It's never a good thing to ignore God because let me tell you, just in case you don't know, God wins. God always wins. Moses and Pharaoh, they both started out ignoring God. I don't want to be like those guys. I don't want to do that. Moses wanted to be a spectator. God wants contributors. He hasn't called us so that we could just sit back and watch things. He hasn't called us to be on the sidelines. God wants to work in his people and through his people. And as he's working through us, it not only is transforming us, and it's reaching out to others that they too might come to know who Jesus Christ is. That as God was transforming Randy and Jean Boltzma, and, and you know, they were being transformed, and he was telling me the things God was doing you know, in his life and their life, and at first I didn't want to hear them. But you know what God was doing? God was reaching out through them you know, to, to touch me. God wants contributors, not spectators. Moses wanted to be left alone. God wants us to be all we could be. He wants us to be all we could be. been watching some of my grandchildren learn to ride a bike. Sometimes they just want to quit. I can't do this. I can't do this. Yeah, you can do this. You can do this, buddy. You can do this. I can remember with our kids, you know, they were... I ran behind him so long I thought I was going to hack up a lung. You know, it's just my, you know, my lungs were on fire. I'm running. It's like, balance the bike! You know, but the, uh, 
they, we, we want them to learn. You know, we want them to do that. You know, and, and sometimes we just want to be left alone. God wants us to be all we can be. He knows what we can be. He knows what joy comes as we learn to walk with Him better. Moses wanted to be comfortable. God wants us to be a conqueror. Moses said, I can't do that. God says, you need to go do this. Moses said, I can't do this. I'm I'm too old. You need to do this, Moses. I can't do this. I can't speak eloquently. Moses, you really need to go talk to Pharaoh. I can't do this. You know, and all these, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. And and God, I want you, I want you to go. I want you to learn what you and I can do together. I'm going to be with you, Moses. He never sent Moses alone. He said, I will be with you. That's how you learn to be a conqueror. When you learn to bring God into every situation in life with you, that you go there fully aware of the presence of God and go into that and and be a conqueror in his name and in his power. And both Moses and Pharaoh wanted control. God wants surrender. He wants surrender. Letting go of control and insistence on our own way allows us to be open to possibilities we never even would have imagined had we not yielded to God. I never, ever expected to be a pastor. I never, I didn't even know Fort Wayne existed. And if you think I was going to move to Fort Wayne, it was like, why? You know, there was no reason. When we follow God, we went to Wisconsin yesterday and uh, drove up there Friday night, drove back yesterday, and we had a drive through Chicago. And um, I love Chicago. I think it's a great city. And, the, you know, the density of people and the, and the, the, and the traffic in Chicago really irritates me tyranny you would have been glad you weren't with me because we had stop and go traffic on the way there and we had stop and go traffic on the way back only because of the pure reason that there were so many more people that wanted to be on that road than there was space for the cars you know that, that was the only but um god has opened up so many things for us being here i think of my three children-in-law I think of my eight grandchildren. Open for more, uh, you know. But the uh, the whole, the whole, you know, the whole thing of what God is. When we open ourselves up, when we quit insisting on our own way, you know, and we we open ourselves up, we follow God. It opens us up to possibilities that we never even imagined as we walk with God. Moses responded to the burning bush. He quarreled with God. He eventually obeyed. Pharaoh presented with more evidence than the burning bush. Pharaoh got much more evidence than that burning bush. And he dug in his heels and he would obey, would not obey God. Don't be that guy. Be a contributor. Let God make you all that you can be. Let God make you a conqueror. Surrender 
to God. Let's pray.